everybody and happy Tuesday to you. It is the 16th of May 2023. I'm Derek Cutter. This is the Derek Cutter Podcast. I appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, all that good stuff. We only grow because of your word of mouth. So don't ever stop talking. Get violent. Get nat. No, don't do that. But do uh, encourage people to follow on. All right, at the end of the program, I will announce the winner of the signed book contest for this week between Luke Rosiak and Arthur Brooks, and then I will announce the new winner, or the new contestant this week. So stick around, or fast forward. If you're only here for that, fast forward. Or check out uh, patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunterlocals.com. Support the program, extra content, the pictures of the family, Mother's Day are up there, and all that good stuff. Okay, and that's where you enter the contest. Okay, let's get started. There's a lot of stuff going on today. It's a very, very busy day in the news, but I want to start off with something that is probably, it's more just a, it's funny. I, I love it when the people, when the feces and the fan meet and the left gets the splatter. It's from the uh, Blazed. The Blazed. The Blazed. Sounds like a weed site. No, The Blaze. Sorry. Theblaze.com. Karl Marx suggested the communism, in the Communist Manifesto that the proletariats have nothing to lose but their chains. Little did he know that one day an anti-capitalist would lose his overpriced coffee house. The Anarchist is a left-wing establishment in Toronto that touts itself as an anti-capitalist, anti-colonial cafe shop Radical community space on stolen land. God, they just sound like there's so much fun at parties, don't they? It was run into the ground by a self-described anti-capitalist from Vancouver who liberally utilized the hashtag abolish work and be gay do crime. Oh, this sounds like, again, really fun at parties. By the way, just speaking of which, the... Uh, the government announced that there's no no longer a need to worry about monkeypox. Remember monkeypox? The World Health Organization said monkeypox is no longer a threat to people who are having wild, unprotected sex with many anonymous partners and never even bother to get their names. So game on again, I guess, which, you know, seems to me that that would be how you'd get monkeypox still. May not be as prevalent, but that's how you get it. I remember when I was a kid, and they're like, "AIDS is everywhere. AIDS is going to look to your right, look to your left. Every one of you are going to have AIDS in the future. It is an equal opportunity offender." And they're like, "Well, no, not really. It was not an equal opportunity offender. It is not an equal opportunity offender." How can I say that aside from all the data and everything? Have you noticed this rash of commercials for like? Get HIV and then take this drug and you'll stay negative. You'll not test positive or whatever. And you won't be able to give it to everybody. There isn't a single one of those commercials that ha features a straight person or at least somebody playing a straight person. There's no dude like kissing a woman going, yeah, you know what? Uh, I can't give her AIDS. It's all gay men. And you sit there and you go, huh, we kind of knew that all along, didn't we? 
But the medical community would not allow that to have. We've got a lot to say about the medical community today. The medical community would not allow that to be the message. Why? Not because people would get a false sense of security and start attending key parties like it's Studio 54 in 1978. No, it was because they said, well, it would give the people who are most likely to get AIDS and die from AIDS, it would give them an added stigma. Well, frankly, sometimes a stigma is kind of helpful, right? A stigma is kind of helpful because you don't want to be stigmatized. You only get stigmatized by doing things that or you mostly get stigmatized by doing things that are reckless, dangerous, that you really shouldn't be doing. It's your life. You're free to do it, but you really shouldn't be doing it. So then maybe you go, well, I won't do that or I'll do it differently because I don't want to be stigmatized. Stigmas are a good thing. They're very good. I was arguing with somebody the other day. I think it was it was Snerdly. It was Bo Snerdly on uh, Saturday on his radio show about the need for stigmas. As he was arguing that, you know, having a stigma attached to free school lunches was a bad thing. It's not a good thing. I'm not saying that the kid deserves to be ridiculed because their parents can't afford to buy them lunch or whatever it is. Their parents have hit a rough patch. But... There is something to be said for a stigma to be attached to some of this stuff. Is there not? It certainly seems like there is to me. If you don't you don't want to be known as the free lunch kid, then okay, you're you can't really do a whole lot about it. I suppose you could go out and get a job if you're fifteen or whatever. But more importantly, you'll remember that sting and let it drive you. As you enter adulthood, as you enter the working world, let it drive you so that you say, I had to deal with this. I had to eat this giant crap sandwich. But I'm not going to let my kids eat it. I am going to bust my hump. I am going to, you know, forget it. I'm going to get my kids a school. Forget a school lunch. I'm going to build them a school. I'm going to be so successful. I'm going to build them a damn school. That's what I mean by the stigma. Will everybody, of course, work out that way? Of course not. Of course not. But a lot of people will. Not everybody's going to end up being a millionaire or a billionaire, but many of them, most of them will end up being self-sustained and going, you know what? I'll be damned if my kid's going to be like raised the way I was or grow up the way I was. That's where I say stigma. We need a little bit more stigma. We don't have enough. What is, what is the, the essence of the left? And I'm going off on a rant here. But what is the essence of the left? What do they always tell you? You can't judge. Now, they, of course, sit on their golden throne of feces and, and do nothing but judge everybody nonstop. You're an ist. You're a phobe. You're a this. You're a that. You're the other thing. You're blah, 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 blah. But then they say, you can't judge that. You can't. Why can't I judge that? When it was monkeypox. I don't care if somebody's gay, but I think if you're going to orgies where you can't bother to learn the person's name or you fly to a town to attend a, a weekend sex romp where you have five, six, ten, twelve different partners, I can judge that. It's not a moral judgment of oh, homosexuality is wrong. you got to explain that to God. I don't. But it is a judgment of you're gross, okay? I don't care if a gay friend of mine lined up and was like, I had sex with seven chicks over the weekend. I'd be like, go get a silkwood shower. Go scrub yourself, boil your blood, whatever. You're gross, dude. You're just gross. It doesn't matter 
we need some kind of moral judgment. Things spread that impact everybody if there's no moral judgment. No moral judgment, then you end up with diseases running roughshod over populations, going crazy. Or you get a whole bunch of totalitarians saying, this is what you must obey, obey, obey. You want to empower the Bill Gateses of the world? You want to empower the President Fauci's of the world? No, you can fend off a lot of that crap with a little bit of judgment, well-placed and perfectly utilized. Anyway, back to the story and this douchebag with his hashtags. The anti-establishment sold, at a profit, anti-Israeli literature, T-shirts depicting police being hanged and propaganda pieces promoting LGBT terrorism. Extra to inciting materials, its owner routinely peddled hatred and bigotry for the cafes uh, on the cafe's Instagram page. In one instance, the owner, Gabriel Sims Fewer, why is it always some dude with a hyphenated name? Have you notice that? I've never met a, a dude with a hyphenated name where I was like, that person is well-adjusted. Seems nice. The owner, Gabriel Sims Fewer, wrote, quote, wishing the Pope the Catholic clergy, and the Canadian government, the centuries of suffering and death they have ever given, that they have ever given the world. Nobody accused him of being a genius. With the hashtags, burn every church, hail Satan, and decolonize. When Queen Elizabeth died, the owner again wrote on the cafe Instagram page, the queen was, I don't know, it's all asterisks, and should have died sooner. End quote. A little over, you see, every story, though, does have a happy ending. A little over a year after opening on private property, the anarchist run by Gabriel Sims Fewer announced that it would no longer hack in, it, no, uh, that it could no longer hack it in the real world and would be closing its doors on May 30th. Sims Fewer, the white male son of middle class private school teacher, in the world's eighth richest country, indicated that the cafe was true to its anti-capitalist branding in at least this regard. It failed because it was unable to raise capital. I love it. Quote, Unfortunately, the lack of generational wealth seed capital from ethically bankrupt sources left me unable to weather the quieter winter season or to grow in the ways needed to be a sustainable uh, to be sustainable long term. He wrote, despite fa uh, failing, Simsure claims his cafe had been a huge success. Simsure concluded his admission of failure by writing F the rich, F the police, F the state, F the colonial death camp we call Canada. <laughs> I can't run a coffee shop. It couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. But this is the left. This is Ber this is what Bernie Sanders, this guy will end up being Prime Minister of Canada one day because this is how Bernie Sanders got his start. This is that Bernie Sanders was kicked out of a commune because he was too lazy. He refused to uh, cooperate. He refused to participate. He just wanted. He just wanted the free stuff. That's what this guy is. This is the left wing of the world. It's not just the United States. Progressivism makes you crazy. Is a disease. Is a cancer on society. 
everywhere in the world, not just in the United States, not just in the United States at all. Now, I'm going to talk to you about that disease. The Washington Free Beacon has a story that is, um, you're going to hear about it in the coming days, I imagine, so you might as well hear it about it here first. The headline, how a left-wing activist group teamed up with Big Pharma to push radical gender ideology on American hospitals. Just sitting there going, what, how, this came out of nowhere, didn't it? And it did come out of nowhere. Well, unless you know where it came from. It came from somewhere and somebody and some group of people who would benefit from it. And you think, what kind of a sicko, who would do these sorts of things? Why would they do it? Is it some sort of evil Bond-type villain looking to destroy the next generation? No. It's always the simplest explanation. This one has to do with money. What people don't seem to understand is that if you... There is no... And it's hard to fathom because a normal human being doesn't have to worry about such things. But if you create encourage, pressure, bully, nudge, whatever, some kid into a gender transition surgery, what happens? Well, that kid gets mutilated surgically. They're taking pharmaceuticals to help the chemical mutilation aspect of it. But once the, particularly the surgical mutilation happens, or even the, the chemical mutilation, because it is irreversible, you can stop taking the medicines then. But if you have the surgical mutilation, you have created essentially a customer for the rest of your life, rest of their life, I should say. You really do. The drugs that transition, quote-unquote, the body, aren't cheap. They aren't cheap. It's weird. We're going to hear about it soon. We're going to hear, and I promise you, I would have said normally in the next five years, but I would say in the next two years. You're going to hear, and probably, if I had to guess, Joe Biden will promise to make them free or affordable during the next presidential campaign. You have a situation where they're going to start complaining about the cost of these hormone replacements and sterilizations and whatever, and their government's going to say, well, all right, we need to step in. We need to do something. It won't be what it won't be is we need to negotiate. We need to set the prices. It'd be weird. It's one of those things, the way that government works. They will not be saying they're going to do negotiate, they're not going to do government price control. Why? Because what would happen? If you're a company that's making these pills and the government says, all right, we're going to make it basically not profitable for you to do these things, you're just going to stop making it. Right? Wouldn't you? At some point, you get all the liability and none of the reward. You just go, screw it. I'm not going to do it. The government does not want that. They need people. They're desperate for people to continue to so-called transition. So, what do you get? You get the government saying that they will cover the costs of it or they will mandate that health insurance companies, and they're already seeing that, health insurance policies across the country will have to pick up the tab for these prescriptions. Why? Because pharma wants it. Pharma wants it. I, look, I, pharmaceutical companies do wonderful things. 
But they're also capable of doing horrible, horrible things. Horrible, awful things. Oxycontin one example. They knew it was wildly addictive. They lied about it. Because why? Because they were making money hand over fist. What do they care? They got away with it for a very, very long time. All sorts of things are possible. Remember Fen-Fen? It was a weight loss miracle back in the 90s, I think it was. Fen-Fen. Oh my goodness. The problem was, there's two different drugs, both had Fen in the name. And they, when taken together, they facilitated rapid weight loss. Not dangerously rapid weight loss, but rapid weight loss. And, ooh, and so they did what's called off-label prescribing. And the pharmaceutical company didn't apply for a patent to be used in conjunction with the other drug to, say, facilitate weight loss. They just let it happen because they were racking up the sales either way, right? Well, it turns out that since this had never been tested for this sort of thing, that the human beings involved in taking this drug, and many of them were very desperate and said, please give us this drug or these drugs, it'll help us lose weight without any concern. Look, both drugs independently were proved by the FDA. What could possibly go wrong? Well, turns out a lot for a lot of them, an unacceptably large percentage of people who took Fen-Fen to lose weight, they had heart valve damage. They needed to have their heart valves replaced. They screwed up a lot of people because of off-label use. The pharmaceutical companies didn't want to bother to study it because I think they suspected something could go wrong. And so they just said, we never, we never claimed to be part of a weight loss regimen, even though they happily hammered the checks. Don't think corporations are evil simply because they are corporations, but never blindly defend corporations ever. Think they couldn't possibly be evil because they're run by human beings and they have a profit motive. And some human beings, quite frankly, are not good human beings. So this story from the Washington Examiner. Doctors were wearing pins sporting the transgender flag. Nurses were asking children, most with no history of gender dysphoria, for their preferred pronouns, which were entered into on electric which were entered into an electric record system and documented on whiteboards outside their rooms. More patients were on puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, especially young girls. And the top-ranked hospital was telling staff that people could change their gender based on their mood according to slides from a mandatory review tra training reviewed by the Washington Free Beacon. It's a hospital. The training, which was offered as recently as January, included a primer on Z here pronouns and used a gender unicorn to illustrate the spectrum of other genders. And there's these things, including the gender unicorn, and is wildly dangerous. If you ever see anybody talking to your kids about this, get your kids away from them as quickly as possible and maybe consider lawsuits or, I don't know, I might consider decking them. By 2020, now this is, um, where does the start of this? 2020, or 2019, Beth Rempe, a nurse at Children's National Hospital, 
in Washington, D.C. She's the one who noticed these things. We've been to Children's Hospital once with Quinn, and uh, it was a horrible experience. It was during COVID. By 2022, Rempe said Children's National was requiring staffers to use a patient's preferred pronouns, no questions asked, even as European medical authorities were backing away from the practice, warning that on-demand gender affirmation could entrench dysphoria rather than reduce it, particularly in children. Yes, if you indulge bad things, you get more bad things. Worried the policy did more harm than good, Rempe asked for an exemption, which the hospital denied. She quit in early 2022. Quote, I was concerned that I would eventually have to administer puberty blockers and hormones, not just use the pronouns, Rempe told the Free Beacon. I kept finding myself in situations I wasn't comfortable with ethically. Thank God she existed. It's a shame that she's gone. Since her departure, Rempe has struggled to make sense of what happened in the hospital where she spent 16 years of her professional life. Was there a common thread behind the transgender flag pins, the pronouns and the puberty blockers, and the training and policies that enforce the new culture? As it turns out, there is an outside force pushing hospitals in this direction. Dun, dun, dun. The Human Rights Campaign's Corporate Equity Index became a flashpoint last month when commentators posited that the scorecard was behind Bud Light's decision to air an advertisement featuring the transgender TikTok personality Dylan Mulvaney. Well, it has a sibling. Meet the Healthcare Equity Index, the Human Rights Campaign's scorecard for hospitals that purport to measure the, quote, equity and inclusion of their LGBTQ plus patients, end quote. The index, which uses a 100-point scale, is funded by Pfizer and Pharma, the trade association that lobbies on behalf of large pharmaceutical companies. And Rempe noticed, and Rempe noticed, it awards points for all the policies National Children's National implemented. To earn a perfect score, this is terrifying, to earn a perfect score, hospitals must display LGBT symbols, solicit and use patients' preferred pronouns, and conduct training on LGBT issues provided by the Human Rights Campaign according to the scoring criteria. They must also provide the same treatment for gender dysphoria that they provide for other medical conditions, meaning a hospital that uses puberty blockers to treat precocious puberty cannot withhold the drugs from children who say they're transgender. And though the index does not mention medical conscience exemptions explicitly, it does penalize hospitals for allowing, quote, discriminatory treatment that is in conflict with their non-discriminatory policy, end quote. The Human Rights Campaign, the HRC the left loves them. They are the go-to every time anything involves somebody who's gay. They don't even bother talking to the gay person. They go to the human rights campaign over there at MSNBC, over at CNN, over at all the left-wing outlets. They know exactly where to go. Their symbol is the, the gold equal sign over a blue background. Oh, nothing could be more. All they want is equality, but that's not what they want. See... This organization that is basically in existence to bring about 
so-called equality for gay people. They've won. They've succeeded. Gay marriage is the law of the land. Discriminating against somebody because they're gay is illegal. What more do they have to do? What battlefronts are there left for gay people? There's nothing. There's nothing. There's an occasional somebody uses a slur, but that's it. You can't make a fortune off of that. And the human rights campaign made a fortune in the 90s and in the 2000s and in the 2010s. Now what comes next when you have been so successful? Ideally, an organization should desire to be so successful they put themselves out of business, shouldn't they? An activist organization, we want to win all of the battles. We want to win so that we don't have to fight anymore, so we can enjoy the fruits of our labor. But no, no. See, the people there, and there are lots of people, Human Rights Campaign has a really big office building. I think it's right off of Massachusetts Avenue there. It's near the uh, American Enterprises. It's a nice-looking nice place on the outside. Expensive area, at least it was before COVID. They've got expenses. They've got business. Look, the people who run that and the people who work there, especially the higher-up people, they get nice salaries. Leftists who don't want to be accused of being an istrophobe threw money at them. They allowed them to get that nice office space. It allowed them to get those nice, big, fat salaries, those perks. It's somebody from the human rights campaign. If you live near a college campus, they probably had somebody come out there and speak on that college campus. You might not have heard about it because nobody burned the place down the way they would advocate burning the place down if somebody who disagreed with the human rights campaign went and spoke to that campus. They're all over the place, entrenched in local governments, consulted with by local governments. They have branches all over the country. If they've won and they say, we've won, what are they supposed to do? There is no organization in history that I'm aware of that has voluntarily dissolved itself because their mission was accomplished. The House Un-American Activities Committee continued well into the 70s did just didn't do anything it was just there because it was there government's programs last forever nonprofits people get used to it and suddenly they do what is uh, they have a choice they could go away or they evolve they evolve so it's not that's why you keep getting more letters added to the alphabet mafia it's not just lgbt lesbian gay bisexual transgender because frankly, the LG and the B don't give a damn about the T. They're kind of sick of the T, to be honest with you. But they don't, they can't say anything because the T is all powerful. They got QIA plus and a whole bunch of two spirit and all this other crap that they're making up. Why? Because they're fertilizing the ground and planting seeds for future outrages. Right now, the T is getting all of the attention. They will eventually not get the attention. There'll either be so much blowback, people are sick of this crap, that they stop and move on, or they win, God forbid, and these adults will celebrate the gender mutilation of children. They're really just a special kind of evil who deserve bad things to happen to them, honestly, if they do that. And pharmaceutical companies, they're right there with them. I get it. 
human rights campaign needs new victims. They're running out of victims. They need them. The pharmaceutical companies simply look at it and go, we can get more customers. We need more customers. And these are the best kind of customers. These are the customers that stick with you for life because they have no choice. You've cut off pieces of their body. You've altered their body's chemistry permanently and irreversibly. What are you supposed to, how do they, unless they come up with a pill to switch it back, but they'll never come up with a surgical procedure to put it back together. They've thrown it away. They've incinerated bits and pieces that they've taken off. So you've got to keep them on the hormones. You've got to keep them on the drugs. And you get to throw in the added benefit of the people who realize that they've made a horrible mistake because of societal pressure and things like the human rights campaign's pressure. That they made a horrible mistake. Now you get them on antidepressants as well. They become some of your best customers. Why, these pharmaceutical companies haven't seen that kind of profit since the Oxy days. It's not by accident. It's by design. How these people live with themselves, I'll never understand. How these hospitals can sit there and do these sorts of things. And how Pfizer can fund these sorts of things is disgusting, quite frankly. You've got Bud Light being decimated right now. I'm going to play in a minute the Miller Light sitting there saying, hold my beer. They watched this garbage and they said, oh, you know what, Miller Light? We, we can make ourselves look like bigger jackasses than even you can. And they tried. They tried. It was a little bit different. They used an actual woman. They're claiming to celebrate women. But ultimately, what they're really doing is celebrating liberal women. They're portraying victimhood. They're portraying weakness, quite frankly. There's all women started brewing. Women started brewing. And now it's a, a bad thing that women, blah, blah, blah. I don't really give a damn, to be honest with you. To be honest with you, I don't care who invented brewing beer. I don't care who did what, this, that, or the other thing. I care about whether or not the beer is good. And then, now more than otherwise, I care that the people, the company who run the beer, who sell the beer, aren't involved with the left-wing metastasizing machine, metastasization machine. I don't know if that's a word. I don't think that's a word. But they are not participating in the cultural rot. If you thought that, sadly, you could run to the Coors Company and try some of their Miller Lite because Bud Light was so woke, I apologize to you. There is no refuge from the left. This is what you get from Miller Lite. Here's a little known fact. Women were among the very first to brew beer ever. From Mesopotamia to the Middle Ages to colonial America, women were the ones doing the brewing. Centuries later, how did the industry pay homage to the founding mothers of beer? They put us in bikinis. Wow. Look at this Wild. It's time beer made it up to women. So today, Miller Lite is on a mission to clean up not just their but the whole beer industry's 
Miller Lite has been scouring the internet for all this and buying it back so that he can turn it into good for women brewers. Literally, good How, you ask? Ladies, take it away. First, we turn the bad into compost. Then we feed compost to worms. Push out beautiful fertilizer. That good helps farmers grow quality hops. Which is then donated to women brewers to make their own really good shit. But there's definitely more shit out there. In your attic, in the garage, in your parents' basement. Send any shit you got into Miller Lite and they'll turn that into good shit too. Oh. So here's to women. Because without us, there would be no beer. Yeah, they want to benefit women brewers. Women, I don't care. I If I see a sign that says support uh, this type of business, this sort of owned business, owned by this ethnic group, this skin color, whatever, I will never go there. Never, ever go there. I just won't. I don't care what it is. And now, granted, you could say, well, you're a horrible racist, blah, 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 because it's never, you know, support white-owned businesses. But I'm not interested in going to any of them. I'm not going women-owned businesses, gay-owned businesses, black-owned businesses, none of it. I just don't care. I want people who are people, to quote Depeche Mode. Period. End of story. That's my priority. That's the thing. I was raised to in a time when things were, frankly, better. When it was, you know, the Martin Luther King dream that children were judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Now it's the exact opposite. Now it is literally the exact opposite of that. The left demands you celebrate somebody based on the color of their skin, based on whose genitals they prefer and how they like to have sex. I'm not going to play that game. I'm not a big beer drinker anymore. So not drinking Miller Lite won't be any harder than not drinking Bud Light. It's fine by me. I would recommend nobody drink any of this crap unless and until these companies stop this stuff. They need to be... Somebody needs to go bankrupt. And it's sad to say because there are a lot of people out there who work for these companies who have nothing... The vast majority of them have absolutely nothing to do with the marketing department with the woke crap the esg scores and all that stuff they don't have anything to do with it but messages have to be sent i'm sorry it's horrible it's sad it's bad it's mean it's nasty get somebody to uh, collapse one of these companies and you will see things change dramatically in corporate america i would assume i would hope but it's just it's so sad and it's so pathetic. Even corporate America is kind of waking up to this. But the left won't let it go. They're trying to change it. New York Times today. Headline. Why some companies are saying diversity and belonging instead of diversity and inclusion. Oh, see if you just change the name. Fascism with a smile, right? The story. Woodward is a 153-year-old aerospace company that requires its male employees to wear bow ties that required its male employees to wear bow ties into the 1990s. So Paul Benson, the company's chief human resources officer, knew that creating a company-wide diversity, equity, and inclusion program would require a seismic shift. 
quote, look at our org chart online, and we're, lily, we're a lily-white leadership team of old males, he said, end quote. But employees were eager for, more, for a more inclusive culture. How about just competence? Who cares what color they are? People want to feel like they belong, Paul said. They want to come to work and not feel like they have to check themselves at the door. No, people go to work to work, all right? If you go to work to find belonging in your life, you're a loser. I'm sorry. If you need to find meaning in your life through your work rather than through your family or your friends or what you do in your free time, you work to live. You don't live to work. If you do, you're just stupid. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a nice, more polite way to put it, but I can't think of one. Last summer, Mr. Benson started searching for a diversity consultant who was up to the task. He hoped to find a relatable former executive, quote, who had seen the light. Instead, a Google search led him to a black comedian and former media personality named Kareth Foster. She is chief executive of Inversity Solutions, a consultancy that rethinks traditional diversity programming. Ms. Foster said the companies must address racism, sexism, homophobia, and anti-Semitism in the workplace. But she believes that an overemphasis on identity groups and a tendency to reduce people to victim or villain can strip agency and alienate everyone, including employees of color. She said her approach allows everyone to, quote, make mistakes, say the wrong thing sometimes, and be able to correct it. Forgive my French, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to uh, warn you that I am going to swear for a second. These people can go fuck themselves. Who the hell do they think they are? Merit is dead. And with it is so much everything really good. There is nothing in life that has improved the quality of life that was created through anything other than merit, trial and error, people risking everything, most people failing, but some people succeeding, then other people taking what they did and moving it to the next level. If all of them sat around playing with themselves, jerking off, trying to figure about diversity, oh, you know what, the Wright brothers, they did for create the first airplane and but you know what they were they might as well have been called the white brothers am i right am i right okay well if you care so much about this crap and you believe in cultural appropriation that white people should not be eating sushi so much but fine don't ever fly i'll make that trade i love sushi i'll give it up if you your ass is never on another plane it's a fair trade It's a fair trade. These are the rules you want, right? You just don't like them being taken to the extreme. You don't like them being turned against you because you never thought they would be because you're idiots and you're evil people. This is the sort of mentality that is causing genital mutilation. This is the sort of mentality that is infusing black cities, black neighborhoods with generational poverty. Why? Because rather than looking at the political leadership that created the policies that led to that generational poverty and the 10,000 murders that went along with it, they're looking outside. Oh, you know what? It's systemic racism that did it. System- we need to address systemic racism. We don't need to address systemic racism. Systemic racism didn't sell heroin on the street corner. It didn't sell heroin on the street corner and get a kid shot and killed. That was a Democrat. 
A Democrat did that. Swear to God, it's proof. It's just insane. A Democrat politician created the scenarios under which and the situation under which people live in this system where they go, I can't get ahead. Why should I try? I can't get ahead. Why should I try? Well, you should try because you're a human being. That's why you should try. You should try because that's the only way to get ahead. I'm going to play you a clip from the President of the United States who went to Howard University over the weekend delivered a commencement address. You want to hear how sick this man is. And it's not just this man. You want to hear the end result of a lifetime of indoctrination of liberal policies when he talks about the biggest terroristic threat that this country is facing being white supremacy. Listen to the applause. These are educated human beings. These are educated black men and women. They're 23 years old, 22 years old. They're graduating college. And they're applauding this idea that the country is out to screw them. And they'll never get ahead, except for if white people, white liberals, they vote for white liberals. Please, slavishly obey the political class in the Democratic Party, and it's the only way to defeat slavery or something. What? Listen to this, President, and listen to the applause. To stand up against the poison of white supremacy, as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland, is white supremacy. I'm not saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. I say it wherever I go. I'm not saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. Hey, listen, dumbass, there is no other type of HBCU. The B stands for black, historically black college and university. I really do believe we should stop all funding, federal funding to all universities, including HBCUs. I know Trump paraded around i got multi-year funding for hbcus yeah how did that work out for you what does it matter the concept is wrong you don't fund it because the politics might work you don't do it because it's wrong but listening to this idiot and hearing these people applaud and he's on the stage the video of him on the stage he's applauding and there's the faculty behind him they're also applauding white supremacy the most dangerous terror threat white supremacy oh my god white supremacy is what is that over there is that white supremacy coming to get you look out white supremacy the fact is that black people have more of a risk of being hit by a train while on an airplane than they do becoming a victim of white supremacy now what am i saying well I'm going to give you an abject lesson in how media corruption works. Reuters, from February 23rd, 2023. This headline, you may have heard the headline, you've certainly seen the sentiments reflected in all of the media coverage and everything that comes out of a left-winger's mouth. The headline, white supremacists behind over 80% of extremism-related U.S. murders in 2022. Oh, my God. My God. That 80% of them... I did not realize that there was a massive increase in white supremacy extremist murders. Because if you go back and you look at the number of murdered black people from, say, 2020... 
you see it's almost 10,000. It's very close. It's 59 away from 10,000. 9,941 black people murdered in the United States of America in the year 2020. Now, when you read that Reuters headline again, white supremacists behind over 80% of extremism-related murders, that's going to be thousands, at a minimum hundreds, right? No. No, because Reuters knows that nobody's going to read beyond the headline, or most people won't read beyond the headline, and a whole bunch of people who do, such as news producers or whatever, they will ignore and... uh, lie the way Reuters did. Here's a little pro tip. Whenever you see a percentage highlighted, demand to see the raw numbers. Demand to see the raw numbers. I've said it a million times. Somebody, uh, your town has a murder. There's been two murders last year. This year, there's four murders. Okay. Now, that's a population of 10 people, that's a pretty big increase in the murder rate. If it's a population of 10,000, still not good, but it's two murders up to four murders. Okay, but if you want to scare the hell out of people, you say we have seen a 100% increase in the murder rate. It's true. It's misleading unless you include the numbers. If you say, say your town of a million people had four murders up from two the year before. And you say, well, we're going to crack down on it. We got a a doubling of the murder rate. Okay, again, true. Could also have been an anomaly because you're dealing with such small numbers. So what about this extremism, this white supremacy that's going around trying to kill everybody, hiding behind every bush? Well, let's read the Reuters story. Mass shootings in the United States accounted for most extremism-related fatalities last year in the country, with over 80% of those murders committed by white supremacists. Data released by the Anti-Defamation League showed on Thursday. Okay, the ADL, liberal bona fides. Surely they're a well-respected organization. Let's get to the next sentence and see what we can find out, because this has to be really horrible. Was it hundreds or thousands of murders. The advocacy group labeled huh labeled 25 murders in 2022 as quote extremist related end quote with 18 of those quote committed in whole or part for ideological motives. Wait, what? 25 murder? Surely the next paragraph will clear this up. Two mass shootings, one in Buffalo, New York, where an avowed white supremacist fatally shot 10 black people, and another in November in Colorado Springs, wherein five people were killed, an LGBTQ nightclub accounted for most of the extremist-related murders in 2022, the ADL report showed. Now, wait a second. What the hell? Now, the shooting in Buffalo was done, in fact, by a racist piece of crap. It was. We got his own words. The killing at the gay nightclub in Colorado was committed by a dude whose pronouns were they, them, and is considered non-binary, a member of their own community. Self-loathing? You're going to blame, what, white supremacy for self-loathing? Sexuality? I don't think so. Let's see. Maybe they clear it up. 
White supremacists commit the highest number of domestic extremism-related murders in most years, but in 2022, the percentage was unusually high. 21 of the 25 murders were linked to white supremacists, according to the ADL report. Again, 21. 21 of Let's go back, because that can't be. Wait a second. Okay, yeah, there it is. There's the statistic from Fox News. You can find all this in my town hall column today, by the way. Uh, with links to it if you want to see it to yourself. In 2020, there were 9,941 black people murdered in the country. So of 21, now white supremacists, that doesn't mean that all 21 victims were black, right? It just doesn't. So then what are you looking at? We don't know. They don't really ever go down into that deep of detail. It's not about actually solving a problem. It's about scoring political points, as evidenced by the next quote from the ADL report. Quote, all the extremist-related murders in 2022 were committed by right-wing extremists of various kinds. Yes, it's all those evil right-wingers, and the best that they can do, with no scruples whatsoever, and they are able to create the standard, and they know they will not be held to account. The best they could come up with is 25 murders. That's it. But that's the number one terroristic threat in the United States of America, not whatever is killing the rest of the 9,941 black people. A black audience applauding an old racist white guy going, oh, he's going to protect us from white extremism. Look out. Thank God he's up there. Then they go out and get shot by somebody that looks like them because that's just how the world works. Whatever you look like, you are much more likely to be killed by somebody who looks like you than anybody else. This statistics from uh, USA Today. I couldn't, I think they're from 2020 as well. They might be from 2019. But they found, yeah, 2019. They found that uh, blacks killing blacks represent about 97% of the murder of black people whites killing whites the uh the same thing it's up there it's well actually i'll read you directly so i don't because i just found the numbers overall most homicides in the united states are intraracial and the rates of white on white and black on black killings are similar both long-term and in individual years. Between 1980 and 2008, the U.S. Department of Justice found that 84% of white victims were killed by white offenders and 93% of black victims were killed by black offenders. In 2018, the Federal Bureau of Investigation reported that 81% of white victims were killed by white offenders and 89% of black victims were killed by black offenders. 2017, almost identical figures. 80% of white killed by white, 88% black killed by black. Isn't that interesting? The left now loves to come out and they say, well, it's a disproportionate. disproportionate, Disproportionately, black people are killed by police. Then what? Okay. They don't ever want to give it context like crime rates or whether or not the person was actively attacking a police officer. They just want to use the raw numbers and percentages and say it's disproportionate as if there's a good proportion. If we get more white people killed by police every year, which there are more, but it's just not statistically enough for these bloodthirsty ghouls. 
then everything would be all right. No, they would find something else to complain about. But if you really care about disproportionate, disproportionate, it sure seems like there's about eight or nine percentage points difference in the number of white people killed by black people versus the number of black people killed by white people. If you care about such things, if you want to play that game, and again, liberals never want to play this game. They can't play this game. They lose at this game every time they play. They come up and they throw their little garbage statistics out there, and then they run away like a giddy little schoolgirl going, and run away and pretend that everything is cool with the world. That's the world that they've created. That's the world that they want. It's not the world of reality. It's not anywhere close to reality. But that's why this show exists, is to point out the reality that these morons and monsters don't want you to know. Now, you point this out to your average leftist, the average, well, the average Democrat voter, and they would be shocked. They'd be shocked. Oh, my God, I didn't know that. I hadn't heard that. Rachel Maddow hasn't done a monologue about that. But you point it out to a left-wing activist, and their response would be to say, nope, I don't care anyway. You're some sort of homophobe or racist or both, some sort of racist to homophobe. Whatever you are, I don't care. Because why? Because they don't give a damn about saving lives. They don't give a damn about human beings. They don't care. They do not care. They care more, and I'll get into more of this tomorrow. Jordan Neely, they care more about Jordan Neely. Oh, my God, they're making him into a saint. Jordan Neely's a wonderful saint. His family's being paraded out. Family's got lawyers. I don't know if it's Ben Crump or not, but they got lawyers out there going, oh, poor... Poor Jordan Neely, our, oh, he's our family member. We love him. Oh, and they're whining because the guy, the Marine who uh, had him in the chokehold, he's raised over $2 million for his legal defense. But the the family of Jordan Neely, they've only raised just over $100,000. Oh, it's what kind of justice is this? It's the exact right kind of justice. Mr. Penny, the Marine, is the hero here. He stood up. He protected people. That's what we trained him to do as a Marine. If Neely's family gave a rat's ass about him while he was alive, he wouldn't have been homeless. He would not have been destitute. He would not have been on the street harassing and threatening people. He wouldn't have been hungry. They always say he was a Michael Jackson impersonator. No, he danced to Michael Jackson music. That's not a Michael Jackson impersonator. That's somebody with mental problems. If his family gave a crap about him, they would have cared for him then. Everybody lines up. Everybody becomes a distant cousin suffering from heartbreak when there's a potential huge payday. And if you don't think the city of New York is going to throw money at these people, you're crazy. You haven't been paying attention. George Floyd was father of the year and the stories about him and his daughter having lost him. And I can feel sorry for her. But Derek Chauvin didn't take her father away from her. Crack did that 20 years earlier. Crack took her father before she was born or whenever he started. It was Crack that took him. What Derek Chauvin did wasn't good, but it was Crack that took her father from her. So to portray him, though he was a loving, kind man, yeah, who would uh, break into your house and steal anything of value that wasn't nailed down to get another fix of his drugs. I don't know. I, I don't look at that as just a super swell guy. Call me old-fashioned. Call me a dick. 
I'm a dick. All right, that is enough for today. I, I know some of you are sitting there going, hey, man, you didn't comment on the uh, report out on the steel dot. No, I didn't. By the time you would have heard this, you would have heard it a thousand times. What I want to see is give it 24 hours to shake out and see how the coverage goes. The reaction to the co- uh, to the report is way more important than the report itself. The report itself will give you, everybody will give you their dime store opinion of it. I will, uh, I'll give you the five and dimes to our opinion on it. Uh, in the course of dissecting how the media is covering it, because you can tell more about what they are concerned about and how serious it is or should be taken when you see the left's reaction to it. Thus far, they're pretty panicky. There'd be exactly what you'd expect. MSNBC is a damn joke. And it, it just seems like NBC News is just not a serious organization. You'd think somebody over there would go, hey, we've got a reputation to uphold, even though it's a bogus reputation, whatever. But no, they don't. Tom Brokaw's rolling over in his grave, even though he's not dead. He's going to his grave that he probably already bought and lays down in it and rolls over in it nonstop because of how disgusting they are. So I will focus on the reaction to the story because the story is the story is the story. But I don't want to waste your time with that. I mean, you'll you'll get my take on it throughout the reaction to the story. But how it shakes out, it should matter a whole hell of a lot that large portions of the political intelligentsia and now our current government lied to the American people, concocted a lie and colluded with journalists either by proxy or by direct associations to lie to the American people and nobody would be held accountable. People went to prison for all the crap perjury traps that these people set in this all because they didn't like Trump. It would have been much easier if they just tried to beat him on the issues, but they couldn't. Look, this is what happens when you put up somebody as wildly unpopular as Hillary Clinton and as wildly unscrupulous is Hillary Clinton and all the people that somebody like that surrounds himself with. So we'll get into that tomorrow. Last bit of business. Kyle Woodman, dude. Kyle Woodman, you won. You won the Arthur Brooks signed copy of Love Your Enemies. So congratulations to you. That means Luke Rosiak and Obstruction of Justice returns next week, this week, against Brian Kilmeade. I think this might have been Brian Kilmeade's first book back when he was a sports guy. Yeah, got this autographed in 2015. When the hell was this book from? This book is from 2004. So yeah, it was definitely when he was kind of the sports guy. It's The Games Do Count, America's Best and Brightest on the Power of Sports by Brian Kilmeade co-host of Fox and Friends all the way back then forward by Jim Brown so there you go check it out at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or Derek Hunter.locals.com and enter to win good luck may the force be with you I'll see you tomorrow